Hello and welcome to PIP Permaculture Podcast number 12 on the topic of natural burials. Libby Maloney of Natural Grace Funeral Directors speaks with PIP editor Robin Rosenfeld about her mission to create environmentally conscious and caring rituals for families dealing with the death of a loved one. We hope you find the conversation as interesting and informative as we did. Welcome to PIP Permaculture Podcast. Today we're speaking with Libby Maloney, a holistic funeral director and founder and director of Natural Grace Holistic Funeral Directors. So in issue 11 of PIP, we had a feature on natural burials and we spoke to Libby in that article and yeah, thanks for coming in today to have a chat with us, Libby. It's a pleasure. So, yeah, in permaculture, we're looking at ways that we can live more holistically in our lives, but I think often many of us don't give much thought to what options there are once we die or when a loved one dies. So uh, when you talk about holistic funeral care, what what does that mean exactly? So we use holistic in its in its true sense of the word. So we're looking at a whole person. And at Natural Grace, we talk about caring for the whole person on their whole journey in their whole context. So essentially what that's saying is who are you? What are the principles of your life? How have you lived? Mm. Who, do you, who do you live with? Yeah. Who are you? What are your connections? Who's your world? What's your lifestyle? What's um, where? Where is place for you? Mm. Um, and then we look at where the person is on the journey. So we don't um, sort of appear out of out of the wings um, after a death and and sort of whisk the body away. We've got a, a deep and connected and integrative relationship. Uh, with the families that choose to come um, and be with us or invite us to be with them from days, weeks and months, in fact, years before someone dies. Mm, So, yeah, yeah, we really become part of their team um, and they become part of ours, which is even nicer. Um, And and we kind of all just hang out for a while, really, Mm. over over a period of time and really – holistically look at this person and how would they like their their um, life to be honoured, um, what would be meaningful for them in their living time. Sometimes we say the nicest things about people after they've died yeah. and it's really lovely to have thought about well, what, what would we say to them uh, in a public setting or in a ceremony or, uh, you know, at a special night um, before they died. And so we call that an awake Mm. So the person's awake and alive and hearing everything, all the beautiful things that we that people would like to say. Um, and, you know, so we, we link in with other services and, and really network a lot to, to be sure that people are aware of all their choices because one can't make a proper choice uh, until one's fully aware of all the choices that are available to them. Mm. So to have an authentic and meaningful and beautiful funeral, uh, you need to have explored what choices are, are there for you and to then have time to think about those choices and then say, yep, that's what I would like and to choose them. So that's how we, we go about it holistically. Of course, there's also um, holistic care of our environment. So mm. um, 
we we are a totally chemical free company we don't use any chemicals in the care of the dead or in how we operate our business yeah um we offset our resources that we that we use but essentially um we respect and care for our environment by what we don't do right so you know it's much more about what we don't do than what we do do yeah. uh, so you know use using recycled timbers to to make for families to make really cool coffins of their own or and we do most nearly all shrouded cremation so we don't use any coffin at all for the right. cremation process um and we are you know really strong advocates and are really um, active in the natural burial space as you've explored in in the articles so mm. um we're really really conscious about what we do by what we don't do Mm. And uh, and make sure that we very carefully offset whatever resources we do need to use, which mostly is um, uh, electricity and uh, fuel for our cars. Okay. Yeah. So how do you yeah. offset those things? Um, we contribute to land care. Um, and there's lots of trees and everything that get planted, which is really important and special, but uh, we actually give them some cash for each funeral that we use. We yeah. um, donate contribution um, because they've got ordinary operating expenses that need to be paid as well, so yeah, we try yeah. Um, be useful to them in that way. Um, a lot of the uh, coffin manufacturers do a tree planting offset program, um, so we support those uh, programs. And uh, families can choose to elect to have trees planted through the 15 Trees program or a couple of other programs that are available. We're really very much about families choosing what they would like to do with that. Mm. Um, and then um, we do the cars through Greenfleet. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, so as far as um, yeah. So the coffins you can like traditionally sort of see these big, heavy, I don't know, mahogany or um, coffins that seem to be what have been used traditionally. So, mm. you're saying that there's a whole range of sustainably sourced timber or recycled timber coffins mm -hmm. available. Yep. Or don't use one at all, which is even yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the choices are, look, they're still a little bit limited. Like any, you know, commercial transaction, there has to be a, a market demand for things. Yeah. So, um, you know, the uh, sustainable funeral practice is, is only still in its emerging phase in Australia. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of great and exciting things to come and, and, and we're really happy to be part of pushing for that, leading the brigade on that. Mm. Um, but in terms of funeral, uh, coffin choices, there's, an, uh, you know, some beautiful local families, especially farming families, who just go out the back and see what's out there and, and, and make some uh, make a coffin for, for the person. Mm. Um, there's something really special about the grandchildren all chiselling their initials into the top mm, of beautiful. their grandfather's coffin, you know, that's got wood in it that's come from the shearing shed, yeah. you know, just yeah. beautiful. So all these things have, have great environmental purpose but they have deep emotional purpose mm. um, and that's the most incredible thing to witness really is um, is what can happen as a healing ritual around um, things and it, when when a family really honour the principles of a person that's died, mm. they um, they could they could just do that solely, build the coffin together, and have all the grandchildren you know chisel their mark into it, and that's a funeral. Yeah, you know that ritual of being together, of honouring the principles of of you know uh, we did a, a funeral recently for a spud farmer. 
And, um, you know, generation after generation of his family have have gone before him on that farm and and will come come after him on that farm. And, and, you know, there was spuds in the in the in the coffin um, and and dirt from the on from the the beautiful, rich local red soil, um, you know, Mm. made colour that went into the timber and the kids carved the top of the coffin. And, you know, by the time they'd done that, they thought they were special, let alone all the other amazing things Mm. that they were Mm. Commercially, there's some good coffin choices available. Um, they range from you know some wicker. It is made um, in in Asia, um, but there's there uh, you know um, a certified process where uh, villages are, su- are supported to um, you know to have income producing activities. So, yeah. but we still they are you know bought in. Um, the most environmentally sort of commercially available responsible coffin in terms of minimum is. Um, a, a Victorian pine grown, harvested, manufactured here in Victoria um, okay. pine coffin that most people would relate to as being like a Jewish coffin, you know, a really simple, yeah. very simple coffin. Um, but I can tell you they look beautiful after a family's painted them. Mm. It's just, yeah, yeah. So they're available. Um, there's all this felted wool available. Oh, yeah. as beautiful. Well. They're really soft and beautiful to touch, very elegant coffin. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, shroud. So shrouded burial, where you don't use the coffin at all, um, mm. is is, uh, is is very elegant and very beautiful in in the ritual practice of shrouding a person and laying them in the earth. Mm. Um, really, really ancient and um, really special. And we have a community coffin available for people to use. So. Uh, it, under the Victorian law, so everything, everything of course, must be legal. Yeah. And so, uh, under Victorian law, one must convey a body in a coffin um, in transport. Okay. And from the, from the, once you enter the in, into the cemetery, right up to the side of the grave, the body does need to be in a coffin. And most people do prefer the the coffin for the ceremony time. Not everybody yeah. wants to shrouded form. So we're really respectful of of this not being you know in anyone's face. It's a really gentle gentle process. So mm. we hire, we lend a coffin to um, to families, and um, it's a beautiful. Uh, timber ply coffin that's in the shape of a tree so it's got a really soft feeling about it and the family will use that coffin for the ceremony and to transport the person and then we get to the grave and we'll lift the shrouded form out of that coffin mm. and then it gets cleaned and freshened up and used again for the next family so yeah, um, right. a good, yeah good 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 bit of recycling because once there. it's in the ground it doesn't really matter if it's there or not does it well, that's right. That's right. And and you know the 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 menu, the coffin, the material of the that the coffin's made from is one one thing to consider. But the other things are you know what environment are they are they made in? Yeah. What what impact is that having on the workers? Yeah. Uh, you know where how is it being harvested? Where's it being shipped from? What are the carbon miles? All you know so much to consider in yeah. the manufacture of a coffin. So we just figure is um, just use them over and over again and get good use out of them and then to our delight yeah somebody eventually they do eventually get get to a point where it's it's a sensible decision to um to you know let cremate that coffin or to use that coffin for a burial that it's had its time and um it's gorgeous the right person always presents at the right time Mm. and you'll get someone who thinks it's just fantastic that 20 other people have been in that coffin and 
and they're going to use it for them now. So it's um, each of the each of the community coffins has, has a lovely story associated. Yeah. 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 So can you tell us a bit more about the shrouding? So like the process, so family can be involved in that process of preparing the body. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think one of the things that that prevents us from having um, reclaiming our death rituals in 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 Western society is is just fear. You know, we mm. we don't don't know what we don't know we don't know what it's going to feel like we don't know if it'll smell funny we don't know how we'll cope Mm. um but what what we have you know what we know as um, professionals now is after having done this for you know a couple of years now five years now and with hundreds of families um is that it takes a family somewhere between about 30 seconds and at the maximum sort of three days to totally lean into the the their own dead and to be comfortable in that space mm. and it will always make people draw their breath the minute they walk into a room and and the person who you know a day before a minute before a week before mm. um, was alive is now in in their in their death but um with support and and good you know hand on their back um we do we transition to it really really quickly so what we'll find is someone will come in with absolutely, you know, fearful of anticipation and within minutes is, is washing that person's face or anointing their feet with okay. some beautiful oil or brushing their hair. Um, and then the next, you know, with that, confidence builds and um, and they'll be giving them a wash or they'll say, right, time to get that person dressed and they want to be the one that wriggles the arms into a, a sleeve or whatever needs mm. to happen. So we pride ourselves on a good day here as being when we sort of slowly back out of the room and yeah. the family totally take over and, and care for their own. So it's very possible and it's not – it's not something that belongs in sort of, you know, really organic communities or really robust farming communities or people that are good with, you know, birthing and dying in the animal space or whatever. Mm. It, it's actually a, a practice for everybody um, in all walks of life. And um, it's just incredible to see um, how healing it can be in families too if there's been some disconnection or disruption to the family relationships. Mm. Um, being around that person and sharing in that gift of love that is the final care of someone um, can create the most amazing opportunity for conversation and for memory sharing and mm. for healing. So, yeah, it's yeah, really beautiful. beautiful. Really beautiful, yeah. and it must help in the sort of process of saying goodbye and letting go. I it really, yeah, it really does. So the philosophy here is an integrated approach to end of life, death, after death, funeral rituals and ceremonies, disposal of the body, and then into early bereavement. Mm. So if you Imagine that on a sort of a spectrum, if you like, and that if we get each bit right, if someone, you know, uh, dies in their place of choice, um, is surrounded by support and love and care, um, that their pain is managed and they have what, you know, sort of a bit of a catchphrase now, but sort of have a good death, you know, Mm. that they have a comfortable and loving and supported death in the place that they would want to be, which for a lot of people is at home, Mm. um, then that um really sets the families up for the next stage 
to be uh, better than what it would otherwise have been um, if that's been good. Yeah. And then if the death care opportunity to stay connected to our dead, to be still empowered, to be in charge, you know, to to not be separated from our dead too quickly, yeah. um, that opportunity for that to be a really solid and healing experience. And if that works really well, then people tend to step really confidently into their funeral ceremonies yeah. because, you know, if you like conventionally person would die in hospital, um, they would go into the excellent funeral care of a conventional funeral director. There is nothing wrong with the care provided by the funeral conventional funeral industry. Yeah. Um, but it is a, 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 a power imbalance. Um, so the person is taken into care, beautifully cared for, but nonetheless not connected to the family. And often, conventionally, the first thing experience the person, the family have with the person that's died is they're in a box in the front of a reception venue or a chapel mm. or whatever with 400 people, and that's the first time they've really connected back to that dead form. Mm. Um, and so there's a huge gap missing yeah. between the death and the funeral. So if we've been able to keep the family together, that, um, you know, that they that when the person does need or if the person needs to come into our care, it's when the family are ready for them, which could be two, three, four, five days, could be two hours. It, that's totally up to the family, mm. but there's a natural point. Then they're ready for the funeral service because they've they've met their intimate and private need to care for the person's body. And we see families going from being just, you know, really wrapped with their grief mm. through to their shoulders being back and sort of proudly coming in and hosting funeral ceremonies because they've had all this beautiful time mm. and they're ready to make the next step. So then if people, few, sorry, I was going to say, if people do keep their loved one at home for a few days, what how, what's the process in doing that? What do they need to do or what can they do? Yeah. So uh, there's no there's different laws across Australia as to how long you can do that for. Um, in Victoria, where we are, um, there's no law, there's no limit or requirement. So a person can stay at home in the care of the family for as long as the family would like to. Mm. Um, the most important thing, obviously, is the care of the body. And uh, we we provide that care at Natural Grace by um, having portable cooling system. So it's a cooling mat that goes okay. in the bed with the person yep. and that pulls their body down to a mortuary standard of cooling. So it's very, very effective. Mm. And um, and then the person can comfortably stay there for however long the family would like them to. Um, you can do that with dry ice and other, other means of cooling, um, but this is the safest and, and most effective. Um, yep. But And some families just say, no, we'll wing it. We reckon that'll be right, and yeah. and there's no law to stop that. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely fine. But we try, we try, we endeavour to do um, things at the very best practice, and so uh, we encourage families to use a form of cooling, and ideally the cooling mat. Yeah. And it works beautifully and, you know, the bat goes in the bed with the person and then, you know, the person's doona and teddies and flowers and kids and paintings and whatever else needs to go in with them um, all, all piles on top of the bed. So you get a very natural effect. Mm. Um, the equipment looks a little bit clinical in the first instance. Um, yeah. By the time the person's tucked up, it's, it's really quite delicious mm. and you'll see families come and just, you know, lie on the bed with their person and mm. still talk to them. 
play music and, and um, you know, start to plan the funeral but with the company of their spirit mm. and uh, it's very healing. Yeah, yeah it's so beautiful. Really beautiful. Mm, Much better mm. than being in a drawer in a basement somewhere. <laughs> yeah, look, it is. I think it is. You know, it's not for everybody. No. Um, yeah, that's true. Increasingly, it's for more people than what you, you'd think. You know, we we don't effectively don't advertise here and we're totally at capacity. Mm. Um, and that's just from the experience of one family sharing it with the next family and the next family and then mm. people being witness to you know a really good ceremony and a good ritual and um and good practice you know just stepping back to that concept of integration that we we're talking about before you know if the funeral ceremony is really effective and in, in honoring a person's life and and people feel really um walk away going oh, that that was jack all through he mm. would have loved that funeral i'm so mm. glad jack got that funeral you know that sort of deep uh, response that says yep that was great yeah and then you go to the local bush cemetery or to a natural burial ground in one of the melbourne's big melbourne cemeteries or other natural burial sites that are around australia um and and have a funeral where uh you know the the grave may well have been dug before digging a grave's hard work but you know the body's laid in in a in a grave of a depth that is sort of reachable and touchable so one of the principles of natural burial is is you know, a relatively shallow grave or the legally um, legally minimum depth of a grave. Okay. And that's, that's good for the earth, um, but it's also really good for the emotional state, psychological state of the families too. There's something much more manageable about laying your dead in the earth when you could, could kind of reach in and touch the ground, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. rather than a, a hole that's so deep that you think, oh, my God, where are they going? So, yeah. um there's, we see that as being a really beneficial, emotionally, psychologically beneficial aspect of natural burial, particularly for children. Mm. Um, uh, but you know, and then and then the fam- community, uh, you know, bury that person. They they the, the pile of dirt's there, and there's half a dozen um, shovels, and 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 each person does as many loads as they can, and then passes the, the spade to the next person, mm. and. Um, and the community will sit around and the, somebody will find some mulled wine or, you know, cold drink or whatever's required and somebody will put some music on their phone or something will happen or they'll start to sing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it takes about half an hour, 40 minutes to fill a grave, believe it or not, if you all yeah. get to and get involved. Yeah. So, again, you've got another really meaningful step in the yeah. integration of your end-of-life experience. And the evidence to, to date, we don't have any um got to get my quantitative and qualitative around the right way because I'm not an academic. But, you know, our anecdotal evidence is um, that families then step into their early bereavement from a really firm foundation. Okay. Because they've actually been in that whole process. Yeah. And been involved and seen the body and prepared it, helped dig the grave or at least helped fill it and... It's not just suddenly they disappear and you never see them again. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's and it's our again our experience and our belief and shared by people that are actually academics that that then reduces the incidence of complicated grief. Mm. So it's actually a public health issue. Yeah. 
you know, if you're if you're not going on to require um, formal or um, you know professional psychological support for your bereavement, yeah. because you've sticked through all of that in a manageable, meaningful, thorough way, mm. um, then you'll actually pop out the other end of that and start to integrate your loss into the rest of your life. Mm. Um, from solid base and and turns out that's better for us go Mm. figure so yeah yeah so when you're talking about um natural burial grounds what what options are there available apart as a natural burial or yeah so yeah so um there's sort of if you like the principles and the practice of natural burial yeah so um natural burial The primary principles uh, revolve around things like not embalming the body, um, having the receptacle being the coffin or the shroud made from natural fibres and materials. Um, shallow the depth of the grave is important for the for how the the body decomposes and goes back to the earth nice and cleanly in those levels of the soil where there's the oxygen. I'm not a scientist either, so I'm just using quite simple layman's yeah. language. Um, uh, and and around how we memorialise, how we mark the grave is important. Um, so there's sort of some principles of it. And then there's the practice of, okay, well, where do we actually do mm, this and yeah. what equipment do we need and what are the, what what's, keeps it safe and all those sort of things. So in Australia at the moment we don't actually have any sort of standalone natural burial ground. So that would be a, a site where there's no other form of burial, okay. that there's no, you know, constructed or... Um, you know, large headstones, all those sort of things where, you know, there's other embalmed bodies and all those sort of things. So it would be this sort of pure site, if you like. Mm. Whereas in the UK there's like over 200, well over 200 natural burial sites, yeah. standalone entities, and there are some throughout you know, the United States as well. And we just haven't had that. So um, why is but that? Is it because of laws or...? No, again, just consumer demand. Mm. But one of the things we need to be a little bit careful of is if you come up up my way in the Macedon Ranges in central Victoria, Mm. every bush cemetery up here effectively is a natural burial ground. Yep. You know, because um, those the old cemeteries that have been uh, where families have been cared for at home because it wasn't that long ago that's what we did Mm, and the and the coffee be made by the family or the community the person would have been taken to church and and then taken to the grave and that grave would have been dug by the community and filled in by the community mm. so they are in effect natural burial grounds anyway um but they're just not labeled as such yeah. um whereas in the cities we have what's called a hybrid cemetery and that's where there's a natural burial section within an existing conventional cemetery okay and, and what's they, a natural burial section? What is that? How well, that's that where the practice of natural burial takes place according to the principles of natural burial. Okay. So in that section, you couldn't be embalmed and be buried there. Okay. In okay. that section, you couldn't use a coffin that wasn't made from, you know, a natural fibre or material. Um, but it's only sort of a, a, a circle drawn on a map. It's not yeah. really... You know, anything more or less than that, it's not bad, it's not good, it's just yeah. what it is. Um, but certainly is is hope for um, movement towards securing some some sites. One of the, the, the absolute joys of, of burial, full stop, is that it creates a permanent covenant on that site. 
So that burial, natural burial in particular, is actually a, a conservation and or preservation measure. Mm. So, um, you know, there's an opportunity to restore damaged land by doing it because once you put a burial on a, on a piece of land, um, that's perpetual, certainly in Victoria. Yeah. So uh, you can't just randomly do that. But if you if you mark that land as a cemetery with all appropriate permits and, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff that has to happen, yeah. Um, you, you know, you've instantly preserved or conserved the um, the, the existing koala population, mm, yeah. a tree. Or here in Central Victoria, we've got some beautiful remnant wildflower grasslands. Mm. Um, and one of the best examples of the preservation of that is on at the Carlsruhe Cemetery, right? Because of you know, it's 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 not been built on. No, nothing's affected it. So there's all these really cool benefits yeah, of yeah. burial. A good way to and I think, create conservation areas. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's a lot of activity of that down in in, in, down in Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some really active community groups down there that are sort of the closest uh, to being up to getting a, a true standalone natural burial ground. So that's pretty exciting. And mm. I, I am the vice chair of an organisation called the Natural Death Advocacy Network. Mm-hmm which is a community, not-for-profit community organisation that is essentially um, around, you know, demystifying and reclaiming death and dying in our community. And we're a really a- active network of people that are that are harnessing resources across Australia to be able to support each other to, to make this kind of change um, and also to support families who want to exercise their legal right to be their own funeral director. Mm-hmm. So you're not obligated to use a funeral director okay. um, anywhere in Australia and you can you can do it all yourself mm, and okay. so NDAN as we call it um, is committed to just being that resource bank for families that do want to exercise that right and and saying where they can go to get what bits and pieces they do need there's a few steps that are a bit tricky um, so we network uh, to support those families mm. and we're very strong in the in the establishment of natural burial grounds so you know watch this space on that one it's okay. going to be really interesting yeah and what yeah. does a natural burial or a bush cemetery look like does it like are there more trees and can you have a tree planted and that's yeah. uh, instead of a headstone is that something that's practiced Yep, it's something that's certainly very highly desired. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, um, the only cemetery that we work with that, that has a very careful, carefully constructed planting list that you can plant a tree to, to memorialise um, mm. the person is at our little local one here, our Carlsruhe Cemetery here in the Macedon Ranges. Um, most cemetery, and well, the rest of the cemeteries that I've ever come across anyway, won't let you actually plant a tree because they don't want to have the responsibility for it, it or okay. it, it is not suitable space yeah. but um and which is all perfectly reasonable i mean the the upkeep of a headstone in a cemetery every type of headstone is a responsibility of the family not of the cemetery trust okay so the trees would fall under the same yeah. thing of course um so families actually have to commit to you know making sure it's got water and it's cared for mm. and protected you know, there's a, a massive mob of kangaroos that live on the on the on the, cow, the cows, so they like to nibble things. So, yeah. you know, it, it, the families have to to be careful that if they choose that form of memorialisation, that it's actually going to live to permanency and, mm. and those 
things. So most cemeteries don't. But what they do have, so if you look at the um, natural burial section down what's called the Queenscliff Cemetery, which is actually at Point Lonsdale, yeah. um, run by the Geelong Cemeteries Trust, they've done a beautiful um, conservation of the, you know, the sort of a coastal vegetation there and 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 created this just gorgeous section within there that's a, that conventional cemetery that's both um conserving and protecting that 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 vegetation mm. um, but creating these gorgeous little burial spots within it so families are sort of adopting a tree if you like and mm. that's becoming their marker one of the things that we differ here in Australia, which we are very committed to in the Natural Death Advocacy Network, is is memorialising the grave. If you look at the purest form of natural burial principles uh, internationally, they would say that a burial, a grave, should be allowed to totally return to the environment and mm. not be marked in any way. Okay. Now that's not our experience here in Australia. We our the psyche, our, our our collective psyche does not sit comfortably with that. So we need to look at really um, uh, environmentally sensible and, and natural and gentle ways that we can mark a grave, at least in the early years following a burial, mm. um, to 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 not compromise, you know, the the deep well being of the family. Uh, uh, whilst we sort of hyper-protect that, that part of the environment, if that makes sense. Mm. So um, we are, all of us, the environment, holistically, we are part of the environment, the environment's part of us. And, yes, of course, we must protect it at all costs and everything. But if you are burying a child and you can't put their name on a rock, mm then you end up exchanging that for, you know, what could be a really complicated bereavement outcome. Mm. So our experience is that we do need to find creative and innovative um, ways to mark our graves, um, and, so, and that does set us apart from the rest of the world a little bit. Yeah. So what, what's the, what are some examples of what people do? Oh, beautiful handmade clay paper that, oh. that you know, the family might have put their – fingerprints onto or the person's name and that would sit um you know horizontally in the earth so it sort of lies flat yeah. but if you're walking along you can see you know joe blogs and his dates or something that says my dad my pa my husband my whatever is lying here mm. you know and it, 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 it we can't dispute that deep psychological emotional need to mark the graves of our dead, and mm. um, and by but we can do that cleverly. So you know, planting a tree is a, a great one. Um, a little paver, um, even a you know a handmade brick, um, timber like a just a timber piece, yeah. um, a, a, a rock from from that exists on the site anyway, and just. Yeah. Sort of moving it within the site um and that's what we mostly do at Coles Room um or a rock from the local quarry where you know that's there's a it's not going to introduce anything into the environment that's going to be bad for that local ecosystem yeah. um but but does still meet the need and just chiseling their name into it you know there's there's unobtrusive you know beautiful and gentle mm. ways of doing this without introducing you know concrete and clues yeah. and Dreadful things, and you're talking small in size too. Yeah. So that they they're unobtrusive, and 
and and what the expectation is is and we don't have enough evidence yet because we're sort of five years into the journey but we're kind of expecting that after 10 years if those, those clay pavers classically last about 10 years um, and if they uh, just sort of gently fall into the earth or the grass grows back over them or whatever, um, then that we're expecting, and the um, international experience tells us too, that and by about 10 years, families are kind of settled. They don't mind if you can't see the grave marking. Yeah. Um, but to <coughs> not have it right from the start is, is too abrupt for them. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see, won't it? Yeah. And yeah. I guess with the trees, you're sort of looking at trees that are indigenous to that area. Mm. Yep. That so Carlsruhe, as I say, is the only one that, that we know that permits it. Mm. Um, it's a very carefully curated list with the local land care group. Okay. Um, and they very, very carefully keep an eye on on what they will permit to be yep. grown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they actually source the plant. Um, okay. So that, uh, so that, you know, they're really careful. Yeah. About that, yeah. And yeah. what if you want to kind of like have a fruit tree or something so that you sort of feel you're going into something that's producing fruit for other people? Is that something or is that? I haven't come across that so much because <laughs> that wouldn't be, um, you know, sort of um, Indigenous to our area. No. Um, but, um, you know, sure, I'm sure it's happened in other places. Um, yeah. Some of the, there's some big, big sort of purpose-built natural burial sites in the UK where orchards and, and very specific things have been planted and grown uh, in order to, to yeah, for, yeah, for a lot of those benefits. Um, but it, but that would probably be more suitable for that location. Um, yeah. So, I mean, imagine it probably would be up in the, in the um, uh, fruit-growing areas up, you know, further mm. north from me. It um, would be fabulous, wouldn't it? Yeah. To do. Um, but, well, look, we find that families are quite content to just to work with the the requirements that are rust of them. I mean, there's a lot of liberty given, yeah. particularly by this little cemetery trust. Um, and so, if we say to them, you know, you, of course you can plant or you can do a beautiful um, bush rose, you know, like more of a, a ground cover kind of thing. Oh yeah. Um, within the list, they'll find something that resonates with them. Mm. But they don't don't we don't get families saying, well, no, no, I insist on having this because yeah. they're of conscious that you got to be authentic to the principles of what we're talking yeah. about too. This yeah. is not just, um, you know, a commercial groovy thing to do. This yeah. is a, a deeply sacred and environmentally conscious thing to do. And, um, and, and yeah, we've never had any trouble of people wanting something that's, that's not, you know, being offered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. in, um, we were talking before about different options after you die of treating the body so it's, you're not using chemicals and things like that so what options what do you use what are the options of how to treat the body so we care for bodies with warm water essential oil and love mm. and there's really no need for anything else yeah. i mean you get extremes and, and people love to tell me i'm wrong about this and you know what do you do when somebody's been in a massive car accident well, of course there's extreme situations yeah. and, and there's some very clever and very kind and very gentle specialists in in reconstructive surgeries sort of specialists that, yeah. that do uh, care for the the dead of extreme situations yeah in, you know on, on the rare occasion that we've needed their help we of course accept their help 
Um, but even most of that can happen without embalming fluids. It's it's mm. incredible what those people can do. But take an ordinary situation, which which is you know ninety nine percent of of people, um, where where someone's died beautifully at home or in the local hospice or hospital, and their body's been beautifully cared for. I mean, palliative care in our country, if you can get it, which most of us can now, thank goodness, is exceptional and the mm. care that's offered by our palliative care network and, and community is second to none it, it really is incredible and and you can see it in the in the presentation of the dead you know you can see how well they've been cared for how um how few bed sores we see you know how mm. how there's no pain around the person's eyes that they've died peacefully and beautifully mm. so um we get to see that so when a body's been cared for that beautifully really caring for it after the death is is no different than before mm. so um you just wash you might wash that face and it might not even need a wash but there might be something loving for the family to to do that because mm. that's just a gift you can give you know um Often people haven't been up to having their hair washed, um, and I'm sure in, in the in whatever somebody's afterlife is, they're going, oh, that feels so good. You know, <laughs> give them a proper hair wash because yeah. um, they're not in pain time. or discomfort for them. Um, yeah. And you know, we're talking goat soap, goat's milk soap, and and beautiful organic natural products. There's mm. no need for anything else. Yeah. Um, then we use a range of anointing and uh, oils. So we normally use gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and there's oh, yeah. you know, elemental properties and all of those that that, that have uh, deep, you know, purpose. Um, but families can bring whatever they like. You know, yeah. mum might love lavender or rose or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that process of sort of anointing the body and massaging the oil into the limbs and just sort of nourishing the skin um, is is good for everybody uh, the dead and the living yeah and then, um, and then we cool the body down that's that's the primary um, way of looking after a body if you're not using embalming as a yeah. as a process so you know to preserve a body you've essentially got two choices one is to embalm the body which eliminates the need um, for uh, for cooling um, and the other is to cool it now there's stages of embalming there's there's um, you know what's called a partial where they they can just use a little bit of um, uh, the embalming process to sort of get a, a short-term effect. Um, there's full embalming, which is, you know, gives a very long-term effect. Um, there's ways of, of using the embalming process with just using saline. Like there's clever things that happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's a pretty invasive process no matter what mm. you do. Um, and, and it involves separating the person from their family. And, yeah. um, and often that's just not needed. So... Yeah. Uh, cool the body down, um, uh, care for it, dress it in the way that is meaningful to you. A lot of families here just choose to shroud, so just shroud the naked form in in whatever beautiful fabric they want to use or, yeah. or just pull cotton. Um, and then with home-based death care, uh, the other thing that, that, you know, really needs to be kept aware of is um, being careful that, that no insects or flies mm. can get onto or into the, the nose or the mouth or the ears. So we just use beautiful sheer silk to to cover a person's head if they're in a room by themselves when they're yeah. in natural home-based care because uh, flies and temperature are the, are the tricky part for yeah. for the dead. So we just yeah. got to make sure we manage those two things. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. It's yeah. a very yeah. uncomplicated yeah. process. Mm. Um, and, and, and you're yeah. talking about um, like there's cremation but also 
hydro what did aquamation. yeah it's a process called aquamation yeah Can you tell us about yes. that yeah so it's a process of um Reducing the body to um, to the, the bone for same as as you do by uh, way of cremation, as we commonly know it, um, except it's done essentially using water. So they use a combination of flowing water and high temperature um, and alkalinity to accelerate the. I'm just reading the definition. To accelerate yeah. the natural of tissue and chemical breakdown so you know if you think of cremation is a form is a way of reducing the, the human form to to bone matter yeah. um by way of fire by heat um well this is the same it's it's sort of reducing the body to bone matter by way of the water temperature and alkalinity to um to dissolve the body really down mm. to that process it's um so what are you left with at the end is it you're left with ashes in the same way that you are with cremation. So the um, the the bones are ground uh, into that ash form that we see classically okay. with with cremation. Um, there, it's reported that the bones are, are quite a lot wh- whiter. Um, so the bones from cremation are quite grey out all of us. Mm. Um, but the process here is a bit more. So it must be sort of a bit more. I wouldn't like to say bleaching as in they use bleach, but effectively bleaching the, mm. the bones more because they, they are reportedly whiter. Mm. Um, now, this has only just come on the market in Australia. There's one place out of um, uh, New South Wales that are doing it. And, okay. Whereabouts uh, in New South Wales? Um, I think they're in Port Kembla. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so um, I think I'm, I'm kind of guessing a bit because literally sort of come online in this last couple of weeks. It's been yeah, right, brewing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm yet to I'm yet to know anyone um, that's done it, um, but I'm sure it's happening. Which is mm. which is, um, you know it's all about choices. We're just yeah. making sure that people have really good choices. Um, so uh, again, you know, ask me another twelve months and I'll have a, a bit more experience of it and mm. what actually happens. Um, but you know, I know some of the criticism of it as a process internationally has been you know what's going into the water and how is the water actually disposed of um so it couldn't for example go into gray water it would have to go into the sewage system um i I can only imagine by australian laws um so you know there's a a bit of um question mark around that but you know it's another 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 option. option which is great so talking speaking about having options and is this i mean do you need to I mean, obviously in your area people are lucky they can come to you and go through the process. Are there many holistic funeral directors around? And if not, can you still do the same process without one? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) So uh, there's lots of answers to that. Um, So where we're situated in central Victoria, we're very fortunate to help families right across Victoria. Um, so we can we can access people comfortably pretty much, um, you know, from Shepparton or maybe a bit further north to Chuka to right down to the beach and, and yeah. a crossway, so, which we do. And we've got uh, we've got an office and, and facilities in, in Melbourne itself. Um, so we, we can, you know, care for a lot of families, which is lovely. There are other practitioners um, in, uh, in, in, in various states 
around Australia, um, and they they varyingly have access to um, natural choices depending on the the, the local laws or, or or resources available to them. So, for mm. example, in Western Australia, it's very restrictive. There's very few choices. Um, Shrouded cremation, which um, we're very proud to have pioneered as a practice here, uh, has it has increasingly been taken up by crematorium operators. Mm. So um, that that is more commonly becoming available to everyone. I, I think it comes down to people uh, planning. Mm. And if you you know listen to this podcast and you go, oh, that sounds like me or dad or someone I love. Um, I need to investigate this. And yeah. the Natural Death Advocacy Network is a really good place to start. It's independent, um, up-to-date, really good quality information um, available to everybody with a link to someone in your state at least who would be able to help you navigate what's available to you in your local area. Um, mm. But, you know, like everything, if you plan for it, the chances of it being really meaningful and beautiful and um, and and easier mm. uh, are much higher. Yeah, uh, you know we don't just rock up on the day of our weddings and go, well, we're here, mm. you know, and then expect everybody to have this beautiful day that's had a little. So um, mm. you know, this is another significant and really important rite of passage in our lives, and to plan for it is really sensible. Mm. And then you can, you know, if you're not going to burden your family by expressing your wishes yeah. you're actually offering a profound act of love yeah because i can only promise you the families that come here that have had some conversation with the person before they died and have got some at least a good idea of what they wanted let alone a, a damn fine plan um mm. those families are in so much better shape yeah the ones that came and said you know mum would never talk about it and <clears> we just no, we've got no idea. She was burial cremation, and the distress on the family to have to make that choice with no guidance—it's mm. cruel. It's really cruel. Mm. So, um, you so know, planning plan for your and, own, plan and communicate. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to talk about it if you don't want to, but write it down and put it in your top drawer. You know, yeah. let people know where where your wishes are documented because. Yeah. It really is a loving thing to do. Mm. Um, so that's the best thing to do with accessing both holistic funeral care um, but also natural burial and cremation choices mm. is to find out what's available, contact NDAN to, to help. Um, Natural Grace are always happy to help. You can always ring here and someone here will direct you uh, to who we know is active in, in, in varying areas. That's always our pleasure to do mm. that. Um, and it but, is a possibility to do to do most of it yourself, is it? Yep, yep it really is. Yeah. It really is. You know, we don't see a lot of it. You know, you've got to really want to do that. Mm. Um, but you know, we've got some fabulous stories I could tell you of of families that have um, done you know big components of it themselves or all mm. of it themselves, and their sense of satisfaction at the end um, is really just make you smile it's just lovely mm, yeah. um, including only only a couple of weeks ago a family who decided at the last minute that they didn't need us to take their little bubba 
to the crematorium mm. um, in his little wicker basket. That they they were quite capable of doing that all by themselves. Thank you very much. Mm. So they came and collected baby and um, took him mm. home. A little visit to home for a bit first, and then took him onto the crematorium in their own car by themselves. Yeah. Mm. Felt really proud as parents. Yeah. Um, it was private, and they were fine. Absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, so if you can do that within three or four days of your baby dying, mm. um, you know, that, that just sets them up for a lifetime of being what we call death literate, mm. you know, comfortable, comfortable in death. And, um, you know, if you look at the natural death movement and the compassionate communities movement across Australia, which you can Google compassionate communities, um, and uh, the Groundswell Project and the Dying to Know Day event, um, you know, we're looking across the board for for an increase in people's death literacy, and that essentially means that people who that we as a community can um, know what to do at end of life. Yeah. That we've been we've been able to access the resources, the education, the training, the support, the know how mm. to be able to plan for and execute um, our choices at end of life. So that's um, that's happening and it's fascinating. It's actually young people really that are leading us in that. Mm. 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 I've just got one question which I'm sure some people, I mean, may also have. Can you actually be buried on your own property? Is there What are the laws around that? Yeah, in some states, yes. In Victoria, no, essentially. So yeah. Victorian law is that Technically, under the legislation, you can apply for a permit to be buried on private property, but it's nearly impossible to get the permit. Right, okay. They, they don't want it happening. Um, right. And there's a whole other podcast in the discussion around <laughs> um, <laughs> what the theory is behind that. But essentially, unless it's a site with, you know, existing burials and effectively a little private cemetery, yeah. um, you, won't, you won't get a permit in Victoria to bury on private mm. ground or very difficult to get. Yeah. In other parts of the country, New South Wales, uh, Tasmania, South Australia, I think, certainly, you have to check on the one, um, you can apply for a permit to bury on private okay. property. Mm. And there's you know, extensive, um, you know, council requirements and legislation around caveats on titles and distance to waterways and depths of graves and all sorts of requirements. Yeah. yeah. But but it's actually, uh, you know, a real option, whereas in Victoria it's essentially not. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah well, it must be a really special um, job that you have to work with people in that time. It's such an intimate time for people and for you to sort of be there helping them through it must be really special. It is. Best job in the whole world. It's just beautiful. <laughs> We're very blessed. And um, there's something incredible about um, being honoured with someone's trust mm. when you're a stranger. Yeah. Um, and we invest heavily in creating an environment that invites their trust. Mm. So. Um, you know, our sanctuary in particular, the Macedon Ranges, but also our, our other spaces around, but is is a really welcoming and warm environment. You know, we've got really good coffee and, um, and there's <laughs> wine, wine in the fridge and there's yummy chocky biscuits and there's just a, a space that's warm and, and really modern. Yeah. And, um, and that's inviting to people. So the feedback we get is that they step into this space and they feel safe. Mm. And really um, that's the best thing they can possibly say to us. So, mm. um, 
from there you can create amazing things really quickly if you need to. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's so beautiful and it attracts beautiful people. You know, the the Natural Grace family is um, a, a growing growing family mm. and um, everyone that works here is just really drawn to the work and, and, um, and you know, the more comfortable you become with with death and particularly with your own death, mm. um, the better you live. Yeah, right. You know, living, the answer to living, the answer to living well lies in leaning into death. Mm. And and when you work that out for yourself, um, then then you're only, only then are you in a position to be able to extend service or companionship to others. Mm. Um, but essentially our goal here is, you know, is to not deny death, um, yeah. but together we can, we can work towards m- making its effect more gentle mm. and um, and we seem to be doing a good job. So oh, sounds like it. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thanks yeah. so much for chatting with us today. I think it's really eye-opening and gives gives us a lot to think about for people who yeah, may be facing that at the moment or maybe they're not, but it's going to happen to all of us one day. So. Ten yeah. out of ten. That's a something you can't, can't argue with. No. So, um, we've got choices about how that might look for us, so you know. Yeah, and great to know the choices and that there are choices yeah. and that you don't just yeah. have to go with the run of the mill. Yeah, yeah. And if the run of the mill is what you want, that's absolutely fine. Exactly. But tell tell someone. Yeah. Tell Please, and then uh, and that's that is an act, an absolute act of love. Is is think about what you might like and find a way to communicate it to the people that love you, and um, if that's all you do, that's enough. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for chatting with us. And thanks for your great question. Yeah. Pleasure. Great. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us again on the Pip Permaculture Podcast. If you would like to read more about Libby and natural funerals, pick up a copy of PIP Issue 12 out now. Stay tuned for more podcasts in the coming weeks, delving into articles and folks featured in this issue. For more information about PIP or to subscribe to the magazine, you can always visit www.pipmagazine.com.au.